Well, greetings, everybody. Uh, This is the KASB The Advocate podcast for Friday, May 20th, 2022. Uh, I'm Leah Flyter, and I'm joined today by my colleague, Scott Rothschild. And we're going to give you a quick review of uh, what's what's in and what's out as far as uh, state legislation that's been signed into law or vetoed and uh, talk about some um, uh, projections for next week. So I think we'll start with the big news this week, which was that Governor Laura Kelly signed into law House Bill 2567, which is the K-12 uh, school finance bill and the KSDE, basically the budget for K-12 education for the, uh, the next couple of years. It provides full funding of the Gannon Legal Settlement for fiscal year 2023, which starts July 1st. And it funds the first year of the Consumer Price Index Adjustment, the inflation adjustment in fiscal year 2024. Now that sounds a little bit nerdy. Scott, you wanna fill us in on why that's important and what the context of that is? Well, basically just to kind of provide a little background, Uh, The Gannon lawsuit was uh, brought about because of another lawsuit called Montoy. And um, back in the late 90s and early 2000s, school districts successfully sued the state for more funding. There was an agreement under Montoy to phase in the funding. And uh, almost as soon as that agreement was put into action, I believe a year or two in, uh, lo and behold, we had the Great Recession Uh, which uh, uh, curtailed the increases uh, that were due under Montoy. And then after we got out of the Great Recession, we had the very aggressive tax cuts from the Brownback administration, which again, essentially kind of strangled public school funding. That led to the Gannon lawsuit. We were in court for years to get constitutional funding. Uh, Finally, the court and legislature agreed to increase funding to the 2009 levels plus inflation. Uh, You just mentioned that consumer price index is gonna come into play uh, next year. So uh, we are nearing the end of the Gannon funding increases uh, that the the settlement was signed into law by actually the previous governor, uh, Jeff Collier, and has been implemented under uh, 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 Governor Kelly and the legislature. And so uh, we are constitutionally funded uh, for this year and uh, hopefully next year, uh, if all goes according to plan. So a uh, long haul, uh, lots of litigation, and uh, we, we have uh, gotten the Gannon funding uh, that was outlined in the settlement. So I guess that's your brief, I don't know, two minute uh, stroll down memory, memory <laughs> lane uh, and uh, uh, there'll be uh, lots of uh, uh, theses written about it and lots of uh, uh, books may be written about it, but that's probably uh, a summation of where we are today. So, and, uh, and the bill, the funding bill, uh, uh, it also included, uh, I believe it was 18 pieces of policy. Uh, Leah, do you want to start talking about some of the some of the policy. Sure, programs. sure. Yeah, the Gannon funding was was good news, but you know a lot of uh, education advocates and and um, allies were were disappointed about the legislature's kind of continuing practice of of bundling, as people call it, policy and funding. But as um, but again, this year we saw, as Scott mentioned, about you know eighteen nineteen pieces of policy. Um, uh, smoothed into this funding bill. And I think the one that has received probably the most attention and uh, 
and the most sort of controversy is the open enrollment uh, provision. It's a it's a version of a of a Senate bill that was uh, rolled into the funding bill. It says that um, school districts have to develop a policy defining defining their capacity to accept out of district students, and that if you have capacity according to your policy that is adopted at a public hearing, then if you have capacity, you must accept out-of-state students who apply. Now, I want people to uh, remember that this provision of the bill does not take effect until the 2024-2025 school year. Uh, so we've got some time to, to work on this and, and to see how it might play out. But I think it's the thing that is very important to remember and to keep in mind is that the school district is allowed to set its policy. And if your policy is that you're full right now and you don't have room, then you don't have to accept out-of-district students. Or if your policy is, well, we're not full right now, but we're close to being full and it looks like we're going to have to run a bond issue in a couple of years, so we're not going to take any out-of-district kids. That is your, your right under this new law. Uh, conversely, if you're a school district with um, declining enrollment and you would like to accept students, you can say, hey, and I think a, a lot of our school districts already accept kids from out of district. Um, if it works for the school district, and it works for the family. So that could also be your policy. Hey, we uh, welcome all and you can you can show up and we will educate you. So so there are you know, there's a lot of local control under this bill, even though you know, uh, the, the open enrollment thing is very unpopular. Uh, there is con local control by school districts. So I hope people will remember that and, um, and uh, act accordingly. Now, Scott, there is a little wrinkle here in that um, the districts are not required to provide transportation to an out-of-district student, correct? Yeah, that's correct. I, and I believe that the, an added wrinkle also is that they can provide uh, that um, transportation, but they are not required to. And of course, there was no funding added to the bill to provide that transportation. And, and that was one of the reasons uh, that we, uh, KASB, opposed uh, this provision was because we thought uh, this could further kind of uh, hurt low-income students because only the students who could afford to, I guess, catch a ride to another district would be the ones to benefit uh, from this policy. So that was one of the reasons. Uh, of course, the major reason was we just felt like this, this policy of open enrollment was already working on a, on a voluntary basis. The school districts that wanted it had it. The school districts that, you know, came to the conclusion that this wasn't in their best interest didn't have it. And so it was already kind of working and did not require some kind of state uh, intervention or mandate. Running a school district is more work than most people realize. From leading a diverse staff to protecting the health and safety of employees and students, the work of an educational leader is never done. It can be overwhelming to find solutions to the challenges facing a district, but you don't have to lead your schools alone. Kansas Board Solutions, a wholly owned subsidiary of the Kansas Association of School Boards, is here to help you find the solutions you need to support your students and staff effectively and efficiently. 
With a full suite of technology and insurance solutions, KBS offers an array of services to benefit your school district. We know districts continue to face a wide range of challenges as student needs change, staffing requirements evolve, district facilities age, and much more. As a wholly owned subsidiary of KASB, KBS fulfills its mission by keeping money in local schools instead of spending it on huge year-end bonuses or high-flying corporate retreats. All of this helps us achieve our goal of helping you build and run the best schools in the nation. With KBS, you are truly getting a partner in education that serves you with a purpose. Wondering what KBS offers and how you might use it? The answer is simple. If you're in need of a software, insurance, or resources solution, KBS should be your first call. Learn more at www.ksb.org backslash solutions. And we've got some more uh, analysis and, and a detailed uh, detailed list of, of what you would need to do to determine your capacity on our website. It's a, it's a legislative update that we posted on May 17th. So you can go to ksb.org and just click on the newsroom and you'll, uh, you'll see much more detail on that uh, open enrollment uh, piece and, and how your school district would need to comply with it if you choose to do so. Well, there's other money in the bill or not in the bill. Scott, you want to talk about another kind of um, popular or controversial issue that's kind of brewing right now? Well, one of those is uh, the, the uh, uh, allocation of funds for special education. Uh, basically, what the bill does is it increases special education funding by $7.5 million. But even though this is an increase in special education funding, it actually will represent a decrease in the percentage of funding that the state provides for what is called excess costs for special education. Uh, I believe we will go down from 76% to 71% of that excess cost. And statutorily in state law, it says 92%, that the requirement is 92%, but the legislature has kind of ignored this provision. And so what that means is districts are having to, to take other funds from other general resources to provide these special education services. At the end of the session, there was a push to increase at $7.5 million. The governor had a proposal to increase it to $30 million. The State Board of Education wanted a proposal to increase it to 100, by $155 million. This would have complied with that 92% requirement. Uh, Republican leadership in the legislature was not having any of it. And so uh, there, was, there was only the $7.5 million increase. So uh, that's another... Uh, provision in the bill that uh, created a lot of heartburn amongst um, education advocates uh, in that. And, and so that may be a continuing discussion going forward. Uh, the amount of money that uh, is required for special education, the number of students requiring special education services is not going down, it's going up. And so this is, a, this is an issue we'll probably be talking about uh, in the, the next session for sure. Um, uh, there were other provisions in the bill. Uh, Leah, did, did you want to go over a few of them? Or? Sure, I'll, I'll run down some real quick. Uh, the bill adds uh, $3 million to the existing appropriation for the mental health intervention pilot program. I know many of our school districts have used that with great success and others are interested in taking advantage of it. So there's some 
some money for that in there. Uh, the bill now contains an optional virtual math education program. Uh, this started out as Math Nation, which was going to be, you know, a requirement that you would have to do this this particular Math Nation program if, if you were a district with uh, kids struggling with math, which is just about everyone, and that you would have to pay for it. It now says that uh, the virtual math education program will be optional and it will paid, be paid for uh, by federal funds in the first year and by state general fund in the second year. And then after the second year of this optional program, they'll take a look at it and see if scores have actually increased. There's an increase in virtual state aid from from $5,000 per student to $5,600 per student. Um, you may know that virtual aid has not increased for quite some time, and so that has been tweaked. Uh, there's a provision on bond and interest for um, state aid, bond and interest uh, for capital outlay projects. Uh, it changes the computation by removing virtual students from the full-time equivalent count that you have in your district, and it removes Fort Leavenworth, uh, the military-based school, from the calculation. I don't want to get too much in the weeds there. As Mark Tallman likes to say, if you if you get that, you know, and if you don't, you don't care. So, so um, again, if you want to read more about that uh, little bit technical change there, it's, it's on that uh, May 17th post on our website. But basically, if it, you are not getting any more state aid from the legislature than you were previous to this change, right, right, Scott? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. And um, there is also 23 districts that get federal impact aid because they are uh, they are impacted by federal properties, either you know maybe a military base or a Native American reservation that don't pay property taxes. Those, those districts will now get to keep all of that impact aid rather than sending 70% back out in equalization to the rest of the state. But meanwhile, the state legislature will pick up that equalization of that funding to the rest of the districts for, to the tune of about $13 million. So everyone remains whole, but impact aid districts, and you know who you are, will get to keep all of your impact aid. So again, that is kind of um, a very high-level overview of the school funding bill that was signed into law by Governor Kelly uh, this past Monday. And again, we've got a more thorough review of it at kasb.org in the newsroom um, and look for the May 17th legislative update. Anything I missed with that bill, Scott? No, I think I think we've hit the highlights. And uh, uh, there were several uh, other uh, uh, bills signed into law related to education, and uh, I'll just mention one. Uh, the, you know, there's been a lot of talk uh, during the session about lowering the sales tax on food, and but there was also a pretty big uh, tax bill signed into law that had it had more moving parts than the school finance bill. It did, but but the ones uh, that that uh, uh, related to us is on residential property tax exemptions. The law increases the residential exemption from the 20 mil statewide school finance tax levy from $20,000 to $40,000 beginning in tax year 2022. And so this means there's gonna be actually a loss of revenue uh, to, the to the school finance system of about $80 million. But the good news is that they've made that loss up 
through general revenue funds. So it's a wash for us as far as the funding of schools. It's good news on your property taxes because you will get uh, that increased exemption. The bill also include, includes a, uh, a grants and individual income tax credit of $250 per year for public or private school teachers in Kansas, equal to the amount of money that teacher spends on classroom supplies. I mean, we hear this all the time and, and, uh, and the teachers, you know, spend out of their pockets uh, money to uh, provide supplies for their students or, or to uh, uh, provide supplies to, to enhance the educational experience. Now they can get this state income tax, tax credit. It's equal to the same amount that they can get under the federal uh, income tax uh, credit. So under that tax bill, a couple of issues that will affect schools uh, and uh, there's uh, several other laws uh, I think Leah was going to talk about uh, that uh, uh, impact our schools also. Yeah, real quick, I wanted to note, I already got a question this week about the teacher tax credit. That's capped at $250 per year. So um, just wanted to make that clear. Another bill that we were following that was uh, has been signed into law by the governor is um, Senate Bill 421. And what that does is it makes a one point one two five billion dollar payment to the capers the kansas public employees retirement system that helps make up for some previous underfunding of the system that the those were payments that were withheld in 2017 and 2019 because the state was in uh serious financial problems and um so part part of that goes to fixing those uh those missed payments and the uh, the remaining amount goes to um the rest of the school unfunded liability. So I know some of our members are paying close attention to that capers and that definitely um, has uh, is making some progress as far as um, the underfunding. Although, you know, I think people are aware the system isn't really in any financial trouble. If you're a capers uh, retiree or will be, you're going to get your money. It This is just kind of a financial um, motion, a financial uh, movement to uh, to fix some of that past underfunding. Did I miss anything with that one? Scott? No, I mean that's a that's a big ticket item, and yeah. the amount of money is indicative of um, how good our state fiscal picture is right now. Uh, and um, that that capers bill makes up for some uh, delayed payments and underfunding in previous years. So we have. Uh, a pretty large surplus uh, in the in the state coffers, and 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 so legislators and the governor have uh, tended to some uh, some repairs that needed to be made. I, I guess it's kind of like fixing your roof or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think let's turn real quick to some education-related bills that were vetoed by the governor. Uh, first, we'll talk about Senate Bill fifty-eight, and that was what uh, some called the Parents' Bill of Rights. It would have um, established some uh, quote unquote rights for parents that really um, they already have <laughs> about um, and, it, and it also required um, methods to provide parents access to classroom materials. Again, these are um, rights, if you want to call them that, that parents already have. You know, they can, you can look at what your kids are going to be learning this week. There, there's a lot of information that's already shared uh, either by teachers or by school districts, but but this was a bill that was a priority for some in the legislature. 
and it was vetoed by Governor Kelly, and that um, veto was sustained by the legislature uh, late in April. Scott, anything you want to add on that one? Yeah, that was a, uh, uh, it got uh, uh, 72 votes in the House to override. And in the House, uh, it requires 84 votes. That's the two-thirds margin in the House. So it's 12 votes short of uh, any kind of, and what we're going to talk about a little later is there, uh, the, the possibility of motions to reconsider on these vetoes, because the legislature is coming back on Monday uh, to kind of wrap up its business. So if they were to reconsider the motion on this veto uh, and then tried to override, they would have to find 12 more votes uh, within uh, basically the Republican caucus because the Democrats were voting to uh, sustain the governor. That's right. And then the other uh, one of the other high profile bills that we were following is Senate Bill 160, which prohibited transgender females from participating on female sports teams, either at the K-12 or the collegiate level. Again, that that veto was sustained. Um, but again, Scott, the margins were a little closer there. So, yeah, yeah, that was that was, again, sustained in the House. But they got 80, the, the bill to the motion to override got 81 votes, which is just three short uh, of the uh, of the 84 votes. So uh, a much closer margin on that one than the Parents' Bill of Rights. And then another one that is of interest to uh, to many of our districts, I would imagine, is Senate Bill 34. It was passed very late. I mean, Scott was following it. It was like in the middle of the night, right? Um, it it uh, prohibited any government entity, including a school board, from requiring face masks to to control any kind of communicable disease. I mean, obviously prompted by COVID, but you know, it could that could apply to the flu or I don't know, you know, anything that that might be a public health emergency and it banned, you know, uh, vaccine passports, as some call them. And um, basically it prohibited law enforcement authorities from enforcing any rules regarding infectious diseases. So the governor also vetoed that. Uh, I don't I wouldn't be surprised if they might try to override that um, this week. I don't know. You know, we'll just have to see. I can't. I, I it, it did not. It did not pass with huge margins uh, in the House uh, and Senate. But uh, you know, it's a very, it's a very politically uh, charged uh, subject matter, and there are certainly uh, segments uh, within the Republican Party that, you know, believe that government overreached during the uh, the pandemic, and uh, th- this is kind of a uh, a a signal uh, against that overreach. So uh, that comes to our, our, the end of our review of what, a brief review of what passed and what was vetoed. Again, you can find more information on the KASB website in our newsroom. But uh, so Scott, the, um, the Kansas Senate will come back in on Monday at 10 o'clock and the House will be in at 11. Can you talk a little bit about why they come back late in May or, you know, what what the theory, what the uh, what the purpose was of coming back and and uh, what we might expect to happen or prognosticate might happen? I think the 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 conventional wisdom was that they were reserving some days to deal with redistricting Uh, both the uh, the state legislative and the congressional seats were in litigation. 
the Republicans had passed plans. Uh, well, especially the congressional plan, uh, the Republicans had passed a very unpopular plan with Democrats. It took Lawrence and put it in a Western Kansas district. It split Wyandotte County, our most diverse and uh, uh, county. And uh, so I think legislative lead Republican legislative leaders were thinking the uh, Democratic, uh, I guess, more left-leaning Kansas Supreme Court was going to bat those redistricting plans back down to them and make them redraw the lines. And lo and behold, uh, I guess it was yesterday or maybe the day before, uh, the Kansas Supreme Court upheld those those maps. So uh, so so that that does not need to be worked on. So they are coming back Monday, not really sure what they're gonna work on. Uh, we talked a little bit about these vetoes. There could be motions to reconsider on these vetoes. So we will be, Lee and I will be down at the state house. We'll be talking uh, to folks about that. And uh, so, you know, if you wanna contact your legislator and find out what's on their mind, uh, what, what, what's on their agenda Monday, that would be nice uh, uh, to find <laughs> out and maybe communicate with them what you think of uh, those bills. And, uh, but so the session is not technically over. And uh, so we, we will, we have another day. We'll see what happens. All right. Well, I think that uh, brings our advocate podcast for May 20th, 2022 to a close. We want to as usual, thank our uh, producer, Alec Madrigal, for uh, recording us and uh, getting us on the cloud and, and pushed out to you all. Uh, I guess uh, keep an eye on our social media, Scott and I and KSB social media for developments on Monday. And um, if warranted, we'll be back with another podcast soon. And thanks for listening. <laughs>